Good morning to you. Um, it's a joy for me to be with you this morning. I am um, just, just, I just kind of a privilege to get to share my testimony, get to get to, get to open God's Word, um, and to have these um, these moments um, together. Um, greetings from the church in Genoa, Italy. Um, they're uh, they've already had their service, um, but I, I, I say that because I want you to know that. Um, our church is so grateful for churches like, like, like this, and even um, I'll go back and I'll tell them about this church here, and that'll be a massive encouragement to them to know that you're praying for what the Lord is, is doing there. And I think that's one of the things I love about visiting different churches is that um, I, I continue to be amazed and encouraged by the fact that I, we're doing the same thing, right? I mean, we're, we're trying to reach the lost. We're trying to see them added to the church we're trying to serve Jesus in our local context, um, and that's what's happening there, and that's what's happening here. And so, um, again, just just thank you. Um, I'm encouraged to have this time together. Um, my, my wife and, and children are not here. As you can see, I'm flying solo. Um, usually, when I do something like a testimony or a missions presentation, I may or may not have a tendency to just start telling a story that may or may not be directly connected to what's happening. And usually, my wife is there to sort of go, no. Um, she is not here, and so that means... That this could go a lot of different ways. Um, I suppose I'll look to Brian. Maybe Brian will go, no, please, please stop. Um, but we are in this together, and we will hope for the best, even without my wife's presence. Um, testimonies are interesting, right? Because, because, because a testimony, I think, can do one of two things. Maybe sometimes we hear a testimony, and we think, well, man, that guy was a huge sinner. I'm glad that I'm not a sinner like him, and certainly we would not want to say that. Or maybe on the other end we hear, man, that guy, did he even really sin? Um, I remember vividly um, a pastor at, at the church there at Grace Emanuel came to our house. My wife and I are there at the table and he says, can you tell your testimonies? And my wife's testimony goes something like this. Um, I grew up in a Christian church. My dad is a pastor. I, I saw my sin when I was very young. I repented. I believed I was saved and I was baptized. My, my testimony is a lot different as you're going to hear. Um, and I remember there, there's this family, little, little, little kids eating salad, remember it vividly. My wife tells her testimony and they're like, oh, okay, I've heard that before. I tell mine and the little girl goes, oh, mouth open. And I remember I, you could see the salad in the mouth. And so um, I think what could happen with a testimony kind of like mine, you think like, um, I've talked to people and they say, well, do, do I even have a testimony? Um, but then I think two things should happen as you hear a testimony. So this is sort of my, what, what hopefully this will do for your heart this morning. As you hear a testimony, you should be saying, praise God that he saved a wretch like that guy. That, that is an appropriate response. I think there's, there's worship that happens. But I think at the same time, you should, you should, you should be saying that, Lord, thank you that you saved me. Um, even if my sins are different externally from your sins, your heart is like mine. And so I, th- I think that part of what should happen is there should be re- resonance. You, you, you should be thinking, the Lord saved that wretch, and I'm a wretch just like that guy. And so I think that the result either way is, is, is worship. So the testimonies should result in, in worship. Um, you, you know, Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, consider your calling. He's going to say, it's the foolish things of the world that shame the wise. Second Corinthians will say he, he, he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. That's what my life was. I was living for myself, but, but now I live for him who died and rose on my behalf. I, I grew up, I was, I was born in Mobile, Alabama, and I, and I stayed there until I was in the first grade. 
we then moved to Northern Virginia, and I can remember when we moved there, people said, hey, where are you guys from? My dad, say, my dad would say, we're from the South. And people would say, hey, this is the South. And my dad said, this is not the South. So I, I grew up um, a bit of a, um, a northerner, if you will, even though all of my family is, is from Alabama. My mom has a beautiful southern accent, as you can hear. I do not have the same southern twang. And I grew up in, in a Roman Catholic family. My, my, my family is deeply committed to Roman Catholicism. Um, th- this would be one of those stories that maybe is not immediately relevant, but I'm going to tell it anyways. I think it's interesting. It just, just, just underlines the point. Both of my grandfathers converted from Protestantism. My, my grandfather on my dad's side was Methodist growing up. Then he converted to Catholicism to marry my grandmother. Then on my mom's side, my grandfather was Baptist. Um, his name was C.S. Roberts, Charles Spurgeon Roberts. And Charles Spurgeon Roberts converted to become Catholic. And so by the time that I came around, I was born into a family that was, was deeply religious. And, and, and as you know, there are different Catholicisms. That is to say, there's different Catholic experiences. I'm going to give you mine. I don't think this is going to be everyone's Catholic experience. And this is just anecdotal of, of what my life was growing up. But my, my family di- didn't joke around. We, we went not only to Mass every Sunday, we went to the Stations of the Cross. I had to confess my sins. We did all of the sacraments. My mom taught CCD. That's like Catholic Sunday school. We dressed up as saints. All the stuff. I mean, we, we, were, we were committed to Catholicism. As, as a young guy, I wanted, to, I wanted to be a priest at different points. Um, I remember when I, 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 was, I was in kindergarten and there were, um, I went to a school that, there, where there were nuns that sort of oversaw everything. And I remember vividly thinking, like, man, I want, I want to give my life to this. I'm committed. Um, my, my Catholicism looked like be, being fearful that something would go wrong. Um, so every night before I went to sleep, this is sort of like junior high years, I, I was convinced that I had to pray a set group of prayers, and that if I did not pray that set group of prayers, that something would happen to my family. So for each family member, I would pray these, these prayers, Our Father, Hail Mary, Glory Be, Act of Contrition, these prayers. I thought, this, this is important that you do. Um, I had no grammar, so to speak, of a prayer life. I, I didn't know how to pray extemporaneously. It just didn't exist. Um, before we ate our meals, we prayed the same prayer, and it was sort of a race to see who could say it the fastest. Um, always the same prayer. Always. My, my life sort of continued in this vein, and if I had to describe my early years, I, I was a raging Pharisee. I, I loved the fact that I was the good kid, and I took great, great joy in the fact that other people knew that I was the good kid. I liked to be better than the other kids. And even as some of my friends started to smoke cigarettes, I was the one who took them away and then told on them. And I took great pride in that. I was the goody two-shoe. And, and, and this worked for a while. Um, it, it fed my flesh. And, and, and it gave me a sort of a, a reason for existing, a, a meaning, a sort of meaning to my life. And, and that went, went okay until, until high school started. So eighth grade and high school start. And then I began to realize that, that, that self-righteousness, it, it doesn't exactly coddle and feed my flesh like I, like I might like. Um, it, it worked to a certain extent. But, but now, as I'm watching my peers and I so desperately was longing for, for, for significance, for fulfillment, for all these things, um, I sort of traded my self-righteousness for, for outright brazen rebellion. Um, and, and what this looked like in my life was a life filled with drugs, alcohol, um, and, and outward rebellion. Um, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of taste of what this looked like for me. 
I remember the very first time um, I, I was arrested. I was arrested for the very, very first time in the eighth grade um, without, without getting into details. It involved um, breaking and entering. This is a huge deal. So we, 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 I, I, I commit these crimes, some of which are found out. I remember my friend's um, friend calls my, uh, my house. His mom calls my house and says, hey, you guys got caught. Thinking, oh. like, do you, she says, do you want me to tell your mom or do you want to tell her? Of course, I said, you should tell her. Um, and then from there, there, there was a moment that was, that was really um, significant in my earlier years. My mom, she did what any good, committed Catholic would do. And she said, you need to go to confession. You need to go confess this. And I'm thinking, up to this point, I've, I've hit my brother, right? And so I've confessed that. I haven't been nice to my parents. I've confessed those things. What I would have classified as very normal, venial sins, and at this point, though, having committed a crime and there's police involved now, my parents know this is big. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go talk to this priest and he is going to give me a whole mound of um, penance that I will do to make up for this. Um, let me take one step back. I, I think that you know that in popular Catholic theology, it works something like this. You do a certain amount of good, and the hope is that that good will outweigh the bad. And a microcosm of this is confession. Because in confession, you go to the priest and he does say a prayer to absolve you of your sins. He's given that power in the Catholic system. He can do that. Um, but you have to do your part as well. And this is how Catholicism always works. You do your penance. Now, up to that point, as I mentioned, I had done things like I was unkind to my brother, I was unkind to my parents, etc. And, and he would always give me the same penance, the same three prayers. So I'm thinking, now I've done something. So I sit there in the confessional. In the confessional, you can either sit behind the screen so the guy can't see you, or you can sit there face to face. I remember I sat there face to face. I'm looking at the guy, and I'm about to drop this on him. I got, I got arrested. And he says, okay, same normal stuff, same three prayers. And I remember thinking and saying to him, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, hold, hold, hold. I don't know if you heard me. Because I actually, I got, I got arrested. This is big sin. And big sins, we need to do something big to fix that. And he said, well, if you really want to, you can say some more prayers. And even at that point, as an eighth grader, I, I started to think, well, well this doesn't make sense. Because I was supposed to do something to make up for that which I've done. And if you're not even helping me do that, how can I ever do enough good to make up for the bad that's transpired? And that was, that was a monumental moment in my, in my young life. For, from that point on, my life was, was, was characterized by absolutely being c- committed to, to, my, to my own pleasure. To doing everything that I could do to pursue worldly pleasure. Um, I was known as the guy in my, in my high school who didn't, didn't care about what people thought, didn't care about um, what the consequences were, and, and did whatever it took, in my case, to, to use drugs and alcohol and to abuse them as, as, as much as humanly possible. So this meant that my life um, was characterized by those sorts of sin. But it's interesting, you know, with all of the guys that I ran with, certain people got in more trouble. Um, I was the guy that was constantly getting arrested. It was a grace in my life that, that, that my running was always sort of impeded by the fact that I kept getting arrested. And so with young people like me, um, they would send you to 
Um, rehab. You go to rehab. You go to AA meetings. All, all, all sorts of things like that. I can vividly remember. But when I'm, I'm, I think I'm 16. My first AA meeting. My mom's there, and my mom, she knows nothing of this life. She, she's sitting there watching her son destroy himself, and she's just absolutely beside herself. My days at school, instead of going to sports after after school um, in high school, by the time I was a, a senior. I would have to go to outpatient rehab. My parents, they, 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 they didn't know what, what to do with me. They, they, they loved me dearly. They still do. Um, they have always stood by me, even in even the darkest hours of my sin. And yet, not having the light of the gospel, they have, they have, they have often been unsure exactly how to tackle the messes that I've created. They sent me to college. Now, you're thinking, that, that, that sounds like maybe not a great idea. It was not a good idea. Um, my, my, my drug uses went to, went to new levels. Um, and to make a long story short, by, by the end of my college days, I, I got off the plane, and my mom sees me in the state that I'm in, and she just, she just begins to weep. Um, college was, was different. When I got in trouble there, when I got arrested there, I found ways to sort of cover it up. I get back. And again, my parents not knowing what to do with me, they just say you should get a job and you should work. And, and I'm, I'm going to keep moving the story here. But at this point, I had, I think, what, what, would, be, what would be termed a, a massive mental breakdown. Um, I went, went out of my mind to the point where I tried to, um, got in the car, tried to run, run away. I had no idea where I was going. Um, essentially come to, my dad's there, um, and I'm thinking, great. I'm going to kind of go back. I'll keep, keep working my job. And he says, no, you're not going to keep working your job. And so I then spent the next month of my life in the psychiatric ward. Um, I remember that time in my life because in, in, in the psychiatric ward, you find yourself surrounded by, at least in my limited experience, some of the most desperate people I've ever been around. Um, people who are depressed to the point where they don't feel like they can go on with life. And just to kind of give you a taste of what, what, what is a, a gospel-less way to help people, they gathered us together and they put us in, the, in these circles. Um, and they, 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 there was group therapy. And I remember one time the therapist says, I, I just want you guys all to go around the circle. I want you to all say three things that, that make you happy. Something like that. Because I think that if you can think of three things that make you happy, that's really going to help. It was that superficial. And I'm looking at this group of people, I'm looking at myself, and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, is, is this it? You, you, have, you have these people who, who are so desperate, they can't even live life. You're going to put us in a circle and you're going to say, think happy thoughts? I, I did a month there, and for the next year of my life, I was institutionalized. From psychiatric ward, to rehab, to four to five days out, another bender, back to the psychiatric ward, to rehab, to halfway house, to rehab, etc. In the midst of all of this, my, my parents, again, not, not knowing what to do with me, they sent me down to South Florida. Um, I wind up in South Florida. I'm 19 years old. Um, my, my life is, is a wreck, as you, as you can imagine at this point. Um, and there, I was in a halfway house, continued to, to use, um, and just give you an idea what's that like. So, so, so Titus chapter 3 says that, talking about who we were before we were believers, he says, we were enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. And I think that gets at the heart of what, what I experienced, right? Because it was something that I thought was going to give me pleasure. I wanted to do it. 
And yet I was enslaved to it. It seemed as if I could not do it. So I'd wake up often and I said, today is the day that I am not going to get high. And every, every day I did. Um, in this season, I have, a, I have a, um, a journal that I kept at the time. It was, it was not a diary. It was a journal. And this journal re- reads kind of like this. Um, today, I, I want to do better. And, and I, I would write things like that often. I want to do better. I want to fix my life. Days later, <sighs> fell again. Fell back into sin. And this is continuing... And I wind up at, um, again, still using in South Florida. They sent me down to the special rehab for the people who go to rehab a lot of times. There, same thing. The Miami area, there's drugs everywhere. And then then something happened. I I stopped using. And you might think, okay, well, you know, hey, was was there a word from heaven? I mean, what happened? How did that work? I I just stopped. They they told me, if, if you relapse again you're going to go to jail. Um, I had been to jail for the most 24 hours. My, my, my dad was really willing to get lawyers and get me out of trouble. So I had never spent more than 24 hours in jail. Now they're telling me you have a suspended sentence. And if you don't finish this program, you're going to go to jail. And for whatever reason, even though in the past that would have meant absolutely nothing, for whatever reason, at this point, I stopped. It was weird. Weird. I stopped. And from, from that point, I did something else that was totally abnormal for a Roman Catholic. I started to read the scriptures. Someone along the way had given me a green Gideon Bible, a little tiny pocket Bible, not even the whole thing, right? Psalms, Proverbs, New Testament, that kind of thing. And I sat down and I started to read the Bible. Fast forward a little bit. I'm back at at a halfway house. I've been clean for about four months now. I know in the midst of this season, my, my cousin, so out of all the Catholics in my family, there's one guy, and I know he's a believer for sure, he shared the gospel with me. He shared the gospel with me. Um, I'm reading the scriptures, and at some point, the, the Lord saves me. And, and I go back and I read that, if you remember, this non-diary journal, I read this journal, and, and, and at some point, this whole, I want to change myself but can't, gives way to... Jesus died for my sins. I mean, can, can, you, can you imagine this, right? So, again, you've heard some of what my life was like. Catholicism that then grows into this outward, blatant rebellion. Um, I, I've, I'm 19 at the time, maybe, maybe, maybe 20. And I'm thinking back about all of the things that I had done up to that point for the getting and using of drugs. And at that point, I'm thinking... Even if I could in some way go forward and never sin again from that point onward, what about what I've done? I'm 20, but, but I, I've done a lot of wrong. And so if you can imagine that young man hearing for the first time the real gospel, hear, hearing that God the Father made God the Son to be sin on my behalf, This is that sweet exchange that Luther talks about. He gets my sin. So all of my sin, past, present, and future, are imputed to him. He he died for me. And it's not just that. I get his righteousness. And that was the great answer to the question for me. How can someone like me have a relationship with God? Christ's righteousness. I can be in Christ. He gives me that which I have not. And at that point, it was like the gates of heaven opened. But... I still, at that point, was not a part of a 
a healthy church. And some of the things I need to tell you, the 10.15, we're done, right? Okay. 14 minutes. You got the clock right there. It's just staring at me. I was a part of, at the time, as I came out of this, I found myself to be a part of a, what would essentially be a cult, right? It was like a mix of self-help and Christianity. Not, not a very good mix, right? Sort of a mix of like, hey, Jesus is important, Jesus is central, but you've got to kind of believe in yourself. Those don't mix very well, as you can imagine. I, at the time, I, I, was, a, I was a barista at Starbucks, and I, I remember because I would work the like 5 o'clock to 1.30 shift, and I would get off, and I would go home, and I would read my Bible. At that time, I graduated from the little tiny green pocket Gideon Bible to a green NIV Finline Bible. Something about the green, I was just kind of into it. And I didn't know anything. I mean, I knew nothing. And, and I saw people around me that highlighted and underlined in their Bibles. And so I thought, that's what I got to do. I just got to read the scriptures and I just got to underline that thing. Um, I, and you can imagine, I get to Revelation. I'm like, this is, this is nuts. I mean, this is absolutely nuts. Um, Catholics don't read Bibles and they definitely do not read Revelation. I still have that Bible. I look at the things I underlined and I think, wow, that's, uh, it's, a, it's a miracle that I've, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um... I, I, I was attending at that time a, kind of with this self-help group, they, they, they exposed us to a, let, 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 let's, let's call it a church with teaching that is not solid. Let's put it that way. And I don't mean kind of like, ah, oh, there's like a few doctrinal things I disagree with. I'm talking about like re, really superficial and really confusing, um, the church. I had left the Catholic church. It took only four months of Bible reading for me to say, you know what? This is not for me. This is not where I'm going to live out my, my Christianity. I'm in this church, and, and in the Lord's providence, I start to, I start to read. I, through, through a Bible study on the internet, um, I start to read. And by the way, if you have the background that I do, reading, obviously, this is going to be a big shocker, was not a part of that. Um, I was not doing all the things I was doing. Like, I go home, and like, I read Shakespeare at night. That was not a thing. Um, so, I, I get this hunger to read. And I'm thinking, like, wow, this is incredible. I can read. Um, and so, I start to read John Calvin um, and Augustine and G.I. Packer. Um, pretty, pretty, pretty good stuff. And I'm reading that and I'm thinking, this is incredible, right? Because here, it, there's this big view of God. This is not what I'm hearing in my cult self-help group. I'm hearing about a big God who's concerned with honoring himself. And I'm thinking, man, I, I got to look into this. Um, so I start to read some other guys, R.C. Sproul, other people. I reread the New Testament and I think, man, this is, this is what I got to find. I got to find a church that really teaches this stuff. So the Lord did something incredible in this super large church that was sadly superficial. There's a guy that taught a Tuesday night men's Bible study. And he's talking about like this big God stuff like I'd read about in Augustine and Calvin and these other guys. So I talked to this guy and say, listen, where do I, where do I learn about this stuff? And it was so cool. I, I probably talked to this guy five times in my entire life. This guy did two things for me. First thing he did for me. He said, do you think you're going to study someday? Thinking, yeah, like I read like two books. Yeah, totally. Like I'm going to study. Um, I'm like a budding scholar. It's obvious. Um, he says, do you, do you know who the Puritans are? I'm like, generally, yes, sure, sure. He says, do you think you're going to study Greek and Hebrew? I said, yeah, I hope so. He gave me 200 plus of his books. He just said, come to my house. My wife is making me go digital. That is a horrible thing, by the way. Side note, that is a horrible thing. His wife made him go digital. He gave all his books to me. I'm talking sets 
John Owen, um, not John Owen, um, Thomas Brooks. I got John Owen later. Thomas Brooks, John Flavel. There's like a 30 plus volume church father set. He just says, here you go. Um, and again, you can imagine I'm super rough around the edges. And he just says, hey, I, I think the Lord might do this in your life. Take this. And then I say to him, I say, listen, um, this is great. Thank you for the books. This is, this is awesome. But I want to go to a real church. And mind you, we both attended the same church. And he said, yeah, it's definitely not this one. Again, makes you scratch your head. And he actually, he said to me, side note, he said to me, someday when you grow, you're going to find out that my ecclesiology is not very good. Um, and he was right. His ecclesiology was not very good. Um, I.e., you, you don't stay in a church if you don't agree with the general thrust of the church and try to send people out of it. That is not ideal. Um, but he said, you've got to go to this church. Um, it's called Grace Emmanuel Bible Church. So he sends me to this church, and um, I had already decided the point that I wanted to be a pastor. Even before I got my 200 books, I wanted to be a pastor. I mean, by the time I had my 200-plus books, I was like, obviously, it's a, it's a sealed deal now. Obviously, I'm going to be a pastor. Um, at the time, if you said to me, hey, what does it mean to be a pastor? No idea. I mean, really, no clue. No clue. That's what I want to be. Um, I show up at Grace Emmanuel Bible Church. That's where Jerry Rag is the pastor. That's where the Expositor Seminary with some other churches sort of, sort of launched. Um, they, at the time, they had a, um, a new a visitor's luncheon, right? They had a problem with all, all the college kids kept eating all the food, so they don't have it anymore. But they, they used to have it. And um, I'm sitting there with Jerry, and I tell him, I said, hey, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm rough from the edges. I've been in the Lord for like a year and a half. I'm, I've like listened to like five sermons, and I think I'm like really figuring things out. And, 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 he, and I said to him, hey, listen, um, I'll, I'm going to be a pastor, right? So what, what do I need to do for this? Um, and, and it's crazy because if I, if I put myself in, in his shoes and I look back to me at that point, I would have said, <laughs> you're going to be a pastor, buddy. You've got you to gotta walk before you run, my man. You can't be. But he didn't say that. He said, I'm a crier, by the way. I'm going to catch it. We're good. Okay. He said to me, We'll help you. He said, that guy right there is going to disciple you. Um, we're going to teach you how to follow Christ. We're going to teach you how to handle the word. And that's great. We'll be excited to see what the Lord does in your life. And that, for me, um, changed change the course of, of my life. Because then I was some guy with, with 200 books who worked at Starbucks that's trying to grow, um, underlining stuff in Revelation. And now there's a church that's welcoming me in and saying, we're going to teach you what it means to follow Christ. And in that church, I find spiritual fathers, guys, guys who give me what, what I didn't have. There's people who come around me, um, welcome me into their homes. Um, I remember um, John Anderson was, was a guy, he's a, pa- a professor at the Expositor Seminary who, who discipled me. And um, you have to understand that for me, I mean, kind of spending the years that I did doing what I was doing, I, I mean, you know, people, people aren't exactly inviting you into their home for dinner. It's just not a thing. I mean, I remember he's like... Um, there was a call, there was a, like a young person Bible study. He's like, hey, you should come to this. I'm like, eh, I'll see if I can make it. And I call him. Ah, I can't make it. He's like, no, no, where are you? I'm like, ah, I'm like 30 minutes away. He's like, great. We're going to wait for you. I'm like, no, like my car's slow. I can't make it. He's like, no, we're gonna, totally going to wait. You're going to come. I'm like, gosh, okay, I'll come. So I go to the Bible study. And then afterwards, he's like, hey, you want to stay for dinner? And I'm like, to do what? He's like, just to just be together. I'm like, okay. That's okay. Is that a thing? Great. We'll do that. Okay. But, but I mean, just to give you an idea for me, it was just a radical new life. Um, now I'm going to tell you the, the, the last 10 years in um, six minutes. At the, at, at, shortly after they, they started a seminary um, at the school, um, around this time is when I, um, I met my wife and she is, she deserves more than um, two minutes, but 
got the clock right here. Um, she was in Colorado. I was in Florida. Um, I, I was, as you can imagine, I'm like reading John Calvin. I mean, not, not really, you know, put, putting out a lot of um, things that the, the ladies are really interested in. Um, but a friend of mine said to me, hey, um, she visited uh, Colorado and she said, I met this girl and I think you guys would be a great fit. Um, she was reading a book that I would probably like. And this person thought, hey, like you read books and she reads books so we can maybe connect you guys. And she's, um, so she gives me her email. And I remember talking to, like, the guy who's, like, my spiritual father. And she's like, I'm like, like email? Like, I'm going to send her an email? Like, that just feels so lame. And it's kind of like, listen, just, just do the, send the email. So I sent the email. I mean, it was probably the most awkward email ever composed. I mean, ever. It was just so terrible. Um, but we, we started to chat. And it was really unique because we got to talk about so many things via email. After a month, we started calling. Um, I met, met her folks, asked her dad if I can come out. And so we got married um, a little more than a year later. Um, and, and again, uh, you, you've heard my story now. She grew up in a, a pastor's home in Colorado. Her dad did his D-min at, at, um, at the Master's Seminary, really like-minded church, really encouraging church. Um, and, and I learned something from my wife because, you know, whenever she's praying and thinking about the, the, the guy that the Lord is going to have for her, um, she's not thinking about a guy like me with my past. And that's not like, a, that's, just, that's just reality. Right? And so as the Lord sort of draws us together, I, I, I saw from her someone who believes that regeneration is real. Right? Conversion is not just a thing that we talk about. Because conversion is not signing up for a social club. Conversion is when the dead live. Conversion is when there's a new creation. The old things are gone. The new, new, new has come. And she, she believes that. And I think that, that that's the only reason why she would end up with someone like me. Um, we got married at the first part of, um, first semester of, um, of seminary, actually between the first and second semester. And it was right around that time in, in, the, in the school there that, were, that there was a, um, a missions class. And there, the, 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 the missions professor said that you need to ask yourself, not why should I go, but why shouldn't I go? It's like a missionary cliche. You say it all the time. You probably heard it like a hundred times. I had never heard it. For me, it was new. Um, and, and I thought, wow, like, why, why shouldn't I go? And I had no reason. Um, and and I'm, I'm kind of an excitable guy, as you can maybe tell. And I thought, oh, man, okay, wow, why shouldn't I go? I should go. I better get on this. Um, and so from that point forward, every missions conference, wherever the guy was from, I was all in. I mean, from whatever, if it, was, if it was Bangladesh, if it was um, France, if it was Switzerland, wh- wherever the guy was from, th- I'm, I got to go there, like tomorrow. And my wife and I would have this thing where we would get in the car after like the first night of the missions conference. And it was always kind of silent. And I'm like, listen, she's like, I know, I know, you feel the call. Um, in the, the Lord... Had, had to do something in, in, in her heart because she signed up for, I mean, her life already by marrying me at that point was just, it was supposed to kind of be like this. It was already just totally, totally messed up. Um, she moved from Colorado to Florida. That's a big, that's a big move, right? I mean, Florida's not like Colorado. Her family's there. Um, she's thinking, okay, we're going to train for ministry. My, we're going to do pastoral ministry, kind of like what I grew up in. And then, you know, this missions guy, why, why shouldn't I go? I kind of get that thing going. And so she's um, wrapped up in that. At the time, she, she was sort of unsure. So for a year, we didn't talk about missions. We kind of just let it be because I was really convinced that I did not want to 
I, I didn't want to sort of force her into adopting what I thought the Lord was doing in my heart. So, so over a year, so she would tell you if she was here that she, she read John Piper's, books, uh, John Piper's book, Let the Nations Be Glad, to just weeping because she knew this is what the Lord has for me. And so the Lord sort of did that in her heart over the period of about a year. So by the time seminary was over, um, we, we, were, we were ready to go. And, and, I, and I, I could describe our burden this way. Um, I, I was so convinced that, that, that what the Lord had for us, what we longed to do, w- was to take that which we had received to a place that did not have it. So that for me meant a lot of things. And I'll tell you about my ministry, obviously, this evening. But it meant for me training of men, discipleship, real body life, preaching of the word, all of these things that I had received, I longed to take those to a place that, that, they did, not, that did not have them. Um, and that was sort of the trajectory the Lord, that the Lord had us on. Um, there's still one minute left. I'm trying to think of just like a really, really good story, but I'm not. I'm going to pray, and then, is that good? Should I pray? Okay. Um, um, let's, let's pray. Father, Lord, you are so good to save even one sinner. And the fact that we would get to be numbered among those whom you save, it's just almost too much for words. And a handful of minutes trying to describe what you've done, even in one life, are, are insufficient because there, there's so many providences. There, there, there's so many things you do to even give someone life and, and then to save them in, in the right moment. And so, Father, um, I, I, I pray even in this moment that, that if there's someone here who is maybe hearing this testimony is beginning to wonder, well, well what, what has the Lord done in my life? If there is indeed someone in this room who, who doesn't have a testimony because you've not saved them, I pray that in this moment they, they would be overwhelmed by your holiness and their sin and know that they need Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and that they're never going to have life unless they repent and believe in him. Father, I'm thankful for this church. Thank you for the way that they've welcomed me. Thank you for their interest. I pray that you would bless them and even prepare us for the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen.